You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. It's time for Tech Fan. It's time again. It, it is. It's the 87th time, David Cohen. Are you sure about that? Uh, as sure as my name is Tim Robertson, which is dubious at times. So. <laughs> Uh, it's been one of those uh, odd weeks. We uh, One of the things we do at Mac Specialist is uh, we do training. And as yeah. such, we've got a request to do some Android training, which is fine. Um, but all the Android devices that we have are a little bit out of date. So I went and ordered a Nexus 7. You know what? I was thinking the other day. One of the things that winds me up about Android is the fact that every single device they make seems to be called either Galaxy or Nexus. <laughs> All of them. It does <laughs> seem like, that, at least the popular ones. Galaxy, Nexus, and then a number on the end. <laughs> so, uh, so how do you find the Nexus 7? I haven't got it yet. All right. I'm still waiting for it to arrive. I don't know why it's taken so long. With an Apple product you order, you can get it the next day. With, uh, you know, I ordered it directly from Google. And they don't give you any options on shipping. I found that a little odd. That's because they don't really care. <laughs> kind of seems but, that way. But isn't it? I mean, this is part of the problem with Android. Whatever you might think about the devices themselves and the software and everything, the whole ecosystem kind of has had this, this kind of veneer of, yeah, okay, well, you kind of take it the way it comes. And if you don't like it, tough. We don't care whether you like it or not. Now, you know, some people say that about Apple stuff as well, but the thing is Apple at least stops and thinks about what you, what you should care about. They're, they're saying is you should only care about the things we care about, whereas Android is saying we just don't care. Sure seems that way. I know <laughs> a lot of people were upset in Lion, uh, Mac OS 10.7 Lion, that the save as functionality was gone from a lot of apps. And I was one of those people. I hated that. Get, where's yeah. my save as? I open a previous document. I'm going to start a new one based on that document. And I want to do a save as. You couldn't. Well, they brought that back. Yeah. Smart. And, well, they brought that back in Mountain Lion 10.8. That's smart. That's the way you you fix things when you break them. <laughs> Not that Apple's great on, on fixing the things that they break from OS to OS. They just assume, well, you'll just get used to the new one. The thing is, what they, they appear to be trying to change the way people use documents. Uh, and that first pass in Lion was their first pass. Now they've kind of modified it slightly. And it is enriched because there's iCloud stuff in there that wasn't there before. Haven't really. I've, I've had uh, Mountain Lion installed for about 12 hours. Yeah. Uh, six of that I was asleep for. <laughs> well, I've had it installed for longer than that, but only on a machine that I don't use very much. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I also am not as familiar with it as I could be. Ask me next week. That's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people are probably tuning in thinking we're going to talk about my Mountain Lion this week, but I just haven't used it enough to to really uh, get not, a, a handle on it. But it, it's not, not that big of a change. Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing, really. This This kind of has a... A service packy type feel to me. This is a development of, you know, I mean, Line was a huge change because they changed an awful lot of stuff on the hood. Yeah. This one, they have changed some stuff on the hood because of some machines that won't run it. But, you know, this is this is more about refinement. It's more about um, kind of, you know, bringing some new features in and, and really bringing some stuff in. They, they obviously didn't have time to do last year with Lion. Well, here's um, the thing. You remember Leopard made huge changes 
And then Snow Leopard was more of a under the hood tweaking to make things better. Yeah. Then Lion was a major change, and now it seems to me that Mountain Lion seems to be a little bit under the hood. There, look, there's some new things. Don't get me wrong. Safari is a vast improvement for what I've seen so far, but it seems to be more of an under the hood thing. So I expect 10.9, if there is such a beast, uh, will bring a lot of the changes. Yeah, I'm always cautious about assuming that a pattern is developing because I I, I think Apple sometimes decides not to stick with a pattern if they have one. But um, you know, yeah, I mean, there's, there's some nice features in here, but it, I, yeah, it's not it's not a huge change. And the fact that we haven't had the the usual howling of protest from people saying, "Oh, it broke my Mac," means you know to me that that underneath the hood, there's an awful lot, lot not an awful lot going on, even for people who are doing in place upgrades. So. Well, I didn't have anything break so far. Uh, it did break, what was it, Parallels? I think it was Parallels. Let me look. It was, uh, well, it doesn't say what it is. I think it was Parallels that broke. Or, no, it was VM Fusion. Oh, Fusion. Yeah. Right. yeah, Parallels actually was pretty good about being up to date. But Yeah, Fusion was, uh, it said it didn't work, but I launched it anyways, and it was going crazy on my desktop. It looked like in Windows 7 there was a ghost, and it was clicking the desktop a billion times. Like it was click, click, click. You'd see contextual menus popping up all over the place. It's really weird. Then I ran an update and everything's fine. So, uh, Not that I use that software much, <laughs> to be quite honest. Uh, but it is what it is. Um, one of the things I wanted to uh, talk about, and this was kind of exploded on the internet this week. I don't know if exploded is the right word, but... <laughs> Uh, the Wall Street Journal had an opinion piece um, by Gordon Krovitz. Yeah. And he made the contention that, that the U.S. government, it's an urban legend that the U.S. government created the Internet. He says Xerox Park Lab deserves the credit. And uh, it, it caused quite a stir because that's simply not the case. Uh, the, the U.S. government actually did start the internet. Absolutely. Uh, it was an ARPA project. And you would think somebody that writes for the Wall Street Journal would be a little bit more knowledgeable about something well, as important as the internet. He actually used to be the publisher of the Wall Street Journal. And he didn't know. He thought it was an urban legend that the, the United States created the government. Oh, uh, you can forgive him internet. for thinking that but you can't forgive him for writing it without checking. I mean, it's not like it's hard to check. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, my my view on the piece was I did, I, I immediately thought to myself, well, what, are this, what is this guy's political leanings? Because this came to me across, very much to me, as, as trying to make a, a political point in the way that many people in certain parties in the US do nowadays, which is to ignore facts, just say things that they know their supporters are going to kind of warm to. And this, that had, it had, the piece had that tone to me. It was like, you know, oh, look, you can't always say that the government does good things because even this thing everyone thinks the government did, they didn't do. And it's like, well, yes, they did. And uh, people like that don't seem to care. I, you know, I'm not a big fan of government, but I'm, not also, I'm also not a, uh, in opposition to government. I, I want government there when I need them. <laughs> That's about it. I want nice streets. I want nice soft uh, sidewalks. 
I want a police force. I want a fire brigade. I want, you know, there's things that we need. We need a, we need regulation in some industries, a lot of regulation in others, very little in some, but we need a strong government to do that. Every, I think every country does the ones that don't have a strong government. You can see where they go. Yeah. And, uh, you have to give them credit where credit's due. The U.S. government did start... Look, the, by the same token, they didn't know that the Internet was going to turn into what it did. Nobody could have predicted no. that. But the genesis of the Internet started with the United States government. So kudos for that. Uh, and not only that, the way they started it. I mean, it just starts a military project, but it was opened up to academia, and it was allowed to be developed with open standards that people could kind of enhance and build up on and and kind of build new facilities on the top of and eventually it became what we now know as the as the internet now com- compare that with the situation you have nowadays where there's everything gets patented up the wazoo as soon as it appears and big corporations own it all and you know they spend a lot of time suing each other uh, over the over these breaches of patents and this, that, and the other. And there is an argument to be made that ultimately that stifles potential for innovation. Um, and, and I'm not necessarily saying that, that big corporations have a right to have their stuff stolen. I don't agree with that at all. But the point is one of the things that government can do is establish projects that are in the general public good uh, and can promote further things and build new economies upon. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Obama had, uh, when it was just candidate Obama, he wanted a government project to bring far-reaching and much faster Internet access across the U.S. And you see how far that's gone. It's gone nowhere. Special interest groups, i.e. Internet service providers, don't want to see that happen. They want to be the gatekeepers of the pipes. Because it's a very lucrative business, and I understand their point of view, but by the same token, uh, as a country, as an American, I want something like that because it's, it's good for everybody. And new businesses will benefit because of that. And the old ones that you know want to stifle that, they could benefit as well. They just have to change their business models. You do also have to wonder how much um, the content industries are involved in going to try to slow down internet growth hugely because you know obviously their their attitude is the internet is really only used for people to steal their stuff so uh you know they they want to they want to block it as much as possible i don't think that that's quite accurate anymore david quite honestly um i think it was definitely interest i think it was definitely true five and ten years ago but I think uh, many of these big companies are seeing the benefits of the internet. They're seeing more revenue that they were they never would have seen before. Um, I think if you look at the music industry, you know they came hat in hand to Apple in what two thousand and three. Yeah, because their their world business models were being decimated by Napsters. And Apple's popularity with the iPod was evident. So how could they legally get music on there? And uh, Apple had a great solution, the iTunes Music Store. 
And you could argue that the, those companies now wish they wouldn't have done this deal with Apple because Apple has way too much power in the music industry at this point. I mean, they could make uh, even a mediocre artist massively successful simply by putting them on the front page of the iTunes Music Store. But you can't argue with the fact that it was the iTunes Music Store which pretty much killed file sharing at the extent that it was happening back in the day. It's still happening, let's be honest, but nothing's ever going to change that. Um, but it was that innovation that, for people like us who aren't into file sharing and stealing music, it gave us a legitimate way to buy music in a format and a distribution method that was appealing to us. And it made sense. 99 cents a song, usually 10 bucks for an album. We didn't even think about it. We were like, great. And yes, it, ha it helped Apple. I think it helped the music industry. Uh, instead of sinking, they, at the very least, they were uh, treading water. <laughs> and and there's some bands out there that never would have become known if not for Apple and the iTunes Music Store. So I think I think a, a lot of these big entertainment industries, I don't think they all look at us, the consumers, as thieves anymore. You know, I think I think that mentality is going away somewhat. I hope so. Me too. But yet I still can't. I I don't know if I can watch the Olympics on my computer. Can I? I don't even know I if I can. It depends. Um I know that the biggest the biggest media uh, studio building at the Olympic Park is NBC's. So um, they are definitely heavily invested in using the Olympics and, and publishing the Olympics and sharing the Olympics. But what uh, exactly what methods they're offering to the uh, to the uh, you know the people of the world? I, I don't know. Um, obviously, I, I can't really see their content offerings to you in the states from here. Um, you know, I mean, the BBC is going pretty full on with it, as you might imagine. Um, with uh, my understanding is NBC is too. I haven't, I haven't turned on the TV in a week, so just gone to NBCOlympics.com and it says here, with a cable, satellite, or telco TV subscription that includes MSN, MSNBC and CNBC, you will have access to live streams of every Olympic event. Yeah, so you have to be a, a you have to be a subscriber. subscriber already, and most people are. There's a few that's not. But most people are they they don't they don't hook up rabbit ears to their TV anymore and watch the free feeds. It, almost everybody in the United States has a cable subscription, whether it's well, AT well, yeah. or Comcast. I don't I don't know whether that's true. I, I I think with digital TV, haven't a lot of people switched to to watching free over the air digital TV? No, no, no. And the funny thing is, you get a better picture that way. It's not compressed. Yeah. You get a full, uncompressed HD signal. I've seen the difference. It's amazing how much better your picture is by using an HD bunny ears, oh. if you will, an antenna. Well, even even standard definition over digital transmission is is far superior. I mean, your your TV system in the states has always looked pretty bad, anyway, compared to you. You have less lines than everyone else has. Yep. Um, so uh, resolution wise, it's always been pretty bad, but. Yeah, digital TV is, is really is night and day. And when we say digital TV, we don't talk about we're not talking about the digital signal coming through your Comcast line or your AT and T U verse line or whatever. 
because that's a compressed digital signal. We're talking yeah. about over the air. You could pick this up with any TV, HD TV, and HDD, HD TV tuner. That signal looks awesome. It's really, really great. Yeah. Most people don't get it that way, David. No, it's it's very over the air TV is very popular here in the UK because we don't cable has fairly limited coverage, um, so uh, most people either either get it through satellite or they get it through um, through their digital aerial. I, I'm you know my wife is very excited about the Olympics. I'm a little of little bit of uh, blase about it. I'm like yeah, cool I guess, but I don't really care. It was kind of interesting, actually. Um, there's been a lot of negative media coverage for it here over the last couple of weeks. They've had some real problems getting the security in place. The company they had they hired to do all the security guards let them down, and they've had to draft in the army. Um, that's an army that's just about to be downsized in austerity cuts. So, kind of politically, that's also quite quite difficult. Um, and they have these uh, London's London's you know because it's such an old city. Yeah, it's very, very congested at the best of times. So the fact that you're bringing in the HP for the Olympics meant that uh, you know a lot of people are being advised: if you're not coming for the Olympics, don't come to London at all. And they've they've set up these special traffic lanes so that athletes and dignitaries can move around London, kind of unimpeded. And they're a bit like um, HAV lines uh, lanes you have in the states. So unless you've basically got an Olympic flag on the car, you can't use them. So uh, those have been fairly controversial as well. And despite all this negative co- coverage, uh, Mitt Romney was here yesterday, and he said, oh, it doesn't look like you guys are ready for the Olympics. It could be a disaster. And immediately the entire media turned around and turned on him and went, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you say our Olympics might not be very good when they've all been trashing it in the papers the last couple of weeks? Yeah. But as soon as, as, soon as the American comes in and says it might not be very good, they all turn around and say, no, don't be so ridiculous. Did, did you read the quote from Mitt Romney about England? Uh, I, I try and avoid reading, reading things from <laughs> the, Mitt Romney because okay. I find I find that I get more stupid the more I read from him. Well, this will this will piss you <laughs> off. It pissed me off. England is is just a small island. Its roads and houses are small, with few exceptions. It doesn't make things that people in the rest of the world want to buy. And, and if it hadn't been separated from the continent by water, it almost certainly would have been lost to Hitler's ambitions. Yet only two lifetimes ago, Britain ruled the largest and wealthiest empire in the history of humankind. Britain controlled a quarter of the Earth's land and a quarter of the Earth's population. Yeah, well... You know what that says to me? America better watch out. (laughs) You could could be the big king shit, and then things change. And change isn't always for the worst. This, this is a guy who's who's playing to a lot of anti-European feeling back in the states. Yeah, and uh, you know the problem is you can't trust a word he says because he changes his mind every five minutes. He's a very much a fair weather spokesman. I don't think um, he has a mind to change, to be quite honest. No, I don't. Uh, you know, and he reminds me of um, a former two-term president of yours who was also prone to saying the wrong thing and was very malleable by the people around him. <laughs> and I just, I just hope that the American people don't fall for the same shtick twice because. Um, that no, guy didn't do has, so well for him. He, he has no chance of winning, man. I don't say that just because you know I don't I don't like his politics. He has no chance of winning. It's zero. I mean, anyways, let's get off the let's get off yeah. that subject. I just thought that that was interesting, knowing that I was going to be talking to someone um, from over there. 
he, and yeah, having he, just read this. He didn't. He didn't make many friends over here while he was here. Um, he even. He was even talking to the leader of, of the opposition, the Labour Party, who you would imagine he would be against because he's a conservative, and they're, you know, the conservatives are in the government. Um, and and he was talking to him, and he was apparently being all friendly or something. And then he forgot the leader's name, so he started calling him Mister Leader. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here, here's a here's something interesting for you, David. You know, we talk about the changes in the tech industry uh, on this show, and it's amazing how much the tech industry has changed in, in the time that we started this show. We're on episode 87, and the landscape is quite different than it was when we were at episode one. So it's amazing yeah. how fast things change. Um, in the quarter that ended March thir- 31st, 2010... Microsoft Corporation had sales of seventeen point four billion. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, sounds like they're on the right track, right? I'd I'd like to have seventeen point four billion sales. Yeah, be. yeah. How do you compare that to Apple? How about we take all the products away except for the iPhone from Apple? Yeah, and look at just iPhone sales. They had twenty two point seven billion. <laughs> <laughs> So when you add all of Microsoft's products, Windows, Office, the Xbox, everything that they make, it still doesn't even equal one product from Apple at this point, the iPhone. That's that's staggering. That kind of shows you, you know, how the wind is blowing. And it's not in Microsoft's favor. And there's a scathing, scathing article right now um, on Vanity Fair. And it's called Microsoft's Lost Decade. And it just came out. I'll put a link in the show notes for people who want to watch it. I'm on page two, so I haven't read the whole thing. And most of this I already knew, so it's kind of... But it's amazing how badly Balmer and the rest of the top executives at Microsoft has bungled that company in the last decade. It's, It's staggering. And how they still have jobs is beyond me. It really, really is. Well, they, ultimately, they're they're um, accountable to the shareholders. I guess the shareholders must be happy with. Look, the, the difficulty is, is that, yeah, I, I mean, that, that in some ways, that comparison you just made isn't completely fair because they are different markets, two different people selling different things. Um, so it's kind of an apple and oranges comparison. The numbers are different. You know, is it? They're selling. I, it, they're selling. Operating systems for computers. They're selling uh, uh, yeah. phones. They're selling tablets. I'm sure that Microsoft would argue that because those are effectively very low overhead sales, because they're not making an awful lot apart from uh, digital copies of software they've already created uh, and supporting that software, that that you know their their overall financial structure is different from Apple's and so that means you have to interpret the numbers a different way um, and I don't know enough about how each of the companies is structured to to comment effectively on that but you know it's probably not as it, it, probably the way you presented it is, is you know to be charitable might be somewhat of a simplification but it, what's certainly true is that Microsoft is a company that has floundered fairly badly over the last 10 years. They're a me too um, company at this you know, they, point they, they, you know, they, they've they've come out with some products that have really not, but they've kind of succeeded despite themselves. Windows Vista is a good example of that. It only basically um, kept going because of the momentum 
the XP had before it and the PC has. Um, the Xbox, yeah, is successful now, but they've thrown a hell of a lot of money into that platform. They lost a lot of money on yeah. the Xbox. A uh, lot and of money. They lost. They certainly lost a colossal amount of money on the first system. Yep. Um, and and you know, thanks to warranty issues and manufacturing issues, they've lost a lot on the 360 as well. Um, you know, at the same time, you look at things like the Zune, which are spectacular flops. I mean, he, I don't think even when they started with that, anyone thought how badly that would turn out. They basically, you know, it's a, a very good example of skating what to where the puck is instead of where it will be because they basically came up with an iPod competitor and about six months after that launched, um, Apple came out with the iPhone and reset the conversation again. Um, on, on the iPhone side and the tablet side, they are very much in catch-up mode and it remains to be seen how that's going to pan out. So, you know, not to diminish what Microsoft has achieved, because I think, um, you know, what a lot of people don't see is on the enterprise side is how strong this software is. Um, and I think some of the things they're doing with... Yeah, but it's strong because of inertia on the part of IT managers. Uh, I'm not, I'm, no, I don't think that's strictly true. I do. I think, I think um, a lot of people look at the enterprise products that are available and say, um, you know, Microsoft is still a leader in certain areas. You know, they, there is still there is no decent alternative if you want a network file system and management system than than a Windows Server, and Windows Server is a fine, fine choice for that. And there's nothing else that competes with it really. Um, it, Microsoft Exchange, as well, for all its faults and for all its complexity and everything, is still an absolutely rock solid mail server system. Um, do, do you know how many inc- customers that I've seen over the last year that switching from Exchange to Gmail. Oh, I can believe it. I can believe it. Don't don't get me wrong, but there are still an awful lot of companies, um, in, particularly in the larger spaces, who who don't want to trust their mails to cloud. Um, they want to run their own mail systems, and really, you know, Microsoft Exchange is the only choice for them there. You know, so so they and 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 you know what they've done in virtualization, they've come up and they really are. You know, putting it to VMware and to uh, Citrix, these big companies who've been in virtualization for, for a long time, and they're competing with them toe to toe. And those products aren't just me too products. Those aren't products that people are saying, well, I'm just going to have it because I get it with my uh, Windows Server license. They actually are competitive to everything that VMware does, and they're the market leader in virtualization. Now, all of that stuff is not sexy. It doesn't get talked about in the tech press very much. It's certainly not consumer-focused, and it is, it is a big part of their business, and I, th- I think they're much stronger there than people understand because it doesn't get talked about very much. But any profitability but, they're going to get from those technologies, David, are going right out the window when well, they I release th- a product like the Zoom. I think I think the difficulty they have is that they are so much all over the place. They they lack they're incredibly lacking in focus. Um, they're incredibly committee led. Um, they don't have strong leadership. You know, St- Steve Ballmer is, is an you know nothing more than an adequate CEO. He's not capable of of he doesn't have a vision for the company, and that and that ultimately that's what comes out from them is that they don't have an overarching vision. They're only the, the most you could say is Windows Everywhere and Windows Everywhere is a dumb vision. It doesn't make sense. It never has worked and it never will work. We'll put this out just like we did to HP. Uh, you can hire David and I to come in, yeah. take over Microsoft and uh, we will write the ship within 24 months. The stock the, will be over look, 200 a share. The the issue that and, and the, stock, the stock price is a very good example of what's wrong with Microsoft. It's been static for years. Yep. And the reason for that is that they succeed despite themselves. They make money despite themselves. Um, 
up until recently, they've not really tried to be radical and be different to escape ahead of where, you know, to get themselves up on the tech curve and to be innovative. Like it, although the, I think Windows 8 is an example of them trying to be innovative. It remains to be seen whether it pays off or not. But, you know, you've got, to, you've got to respect them for trying. I respect them for respect trying, them for but trying it's not going to succeed. I'm, I've got some grave doubts myself, but, you know, we'll, we'll see because we haven't seen the full picture of that product yet. But, um, I have. You know what? I've I've seen the full picture. I'm when it comes to seeing where technology is going, I'm very rarely surprised. I'm very very good at reading tea leaves, and the tea leaves for Microsoft paints a dismal picture, unless they get rid of Steve Ballmer ASAP. Really, that's what it's going to take. They need to get someone in there who's going to, um, through sheer force of will, take over that company, get rid of the upper management and mid management inertia. Uh, the culture of stabbing other departments in the back to try to make yourself look good and then being rewarded for it. Um, until all of those type of things change, Microsoft's going down. It's just the way it is. And uh, I think you and I are the people for the job, David. Co-CEOs. Because, look, it worked so well for RIM. Exactly. Let's be honest. It worked great for RIM. We can do it at my... Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, let's uh, let's take our uh, first break here, David, and uh, we're going to play some feedback again from Scott Wilsey. Oh, I just hit the mute button so we can't hear David. You still there? I'm still here. I was adjusting myself here, and my finger hit the, the mute keyboard. Uh, I do not want to hear you say the term adjusting myself again, please. <laughs> I meant exactly what I meant. Uh, we'll be right back. Hi, Timothy Gregoire here from the Church Tech Geeks Podcast. Well, I'm about to run a sound check here at the church for a concert, but I wanted to take a quick moment to tell you about the Church Tech Geeks Podcast. It's a weekly show that talks about all things live production and church technology. We talk about topics from live sound, lights, and media to building websites for your organization. Join me each week as I walk you through some useful skills or while I talk to special guests from Adam Christensen to Nate Rake in a media show. Now, if you excuse me, I have the concert run. The Church Tech Geeks is a member of the Stoplight Network. It can be found in iTunes or at thechurchtechgeeks.com or in the Attack of the Stoplight Network feed. Hey, Tim. Scott here. Sorry for the noise quality. I'm using my iPhone. Uh, first of all, I hope you caught the joke in my last one. The uh, you're doing it wrong thing is kind of an Internet meme that usually happens whenever people offer advice on the Internet. <laughs> uh, secondly, Flickr. You know, a lot of people still do use Flickr, actually. All the people who I know who are amateur photographers use it. It's the best way to share photos outside of Google+, and frankly, most of those people have never heard of Google+. The only ones that have are the really geeky photographers who are into tech besides photography. So uh, Flickr is still in use. Obviously, it's been neglected. Obviously, there have been concerns at times if Yahoo's just going to abandon the whole thing. But it's definitely still in use. It's, it is the most social of the sharing networks and while it can be time consuming and while there are issues it, it's still the best one you know what 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 are the alternatives 500 picks that's not going to happen uh, instagram that's a totally different type of thing that's a type of uh snap shot with filters thing that is more for a different type of people than the ones who are going to spend a few hours uh, in the morning trying to get a good shot with their dslr it's just different. So, yeah, Flickr is still definitely in use. I know a lot of people using Flickr, and uh, I used to have several hundred contacts there, and I, I just don't have time for it. 
now, but, you know, I still have, I don't know, 100 or something. But, uh, yeah, still lots of active people. So hopefully, I, I'm hoping certain things like that at Yahoo will, you know, definitely get priority. Who knows? Anyway, great show. Bye. We're back here with uh, Tech Fan number 87. I'm Tim Robertson. He's David Cohen. And that was Scott Wilsey from Pocket Size Podcast. Uh, we had this discussion on both um, here on the show, David, last week about Flickr. And David, or I'm sorry, and uh, Scott was very boisterous in his support of Flickr on Twitter to us. And uh, let's talk about that a little bit. It's easy to say that Flickr is out of date, which I did. And there's a reason it's easy to say that is because Yahoo, its owners now, have basically ignored it for the last, well, what, three years? Yeah. And it has not kept up with current and emerging technologies. There are other pro photo sharing sites that run rings around it. Um, photo Bucket Pro comes to mind. Hell, even Kodak Gallery is is a better one than Flickr at this point. Uh, it, I think it still has a brand cache, cache, yeah, th- that they could capitalize on, but it needs immediate attention, and it's going to go bye bye if they don't do something. Because while the it's, amateur, it's in- yeah, it's interesting actually that um, some of these new social media settings in Mountain Line let you post all right this flicker yeah um you know the, uh, and yet not too bigger sites like yahoo um there's probably some politics there i guess but um yeah no i i agree with you i think it does i think scott's argument that's lots of people still using it is is the problem is it's not valid so he's saying oh there's lots of amateur fo- photographers using it and you know i'd agree I, I think a lot of photographers use it but the question is, is that because of inertia or is that because they think it's the best site around for photos? Once you've, once you've invested in it, once you've put a load of photos up there, it's very difficult to move. It's, got, it's quite sticky. Um, and the problem is if it's just photographers using it, then it's a niche site. It's not mainstream at all. I agree. You yeah. know, and you, and you can't – it's very difficult to – unless that niche is big enough uh, and the users you have are loyal enough – um, it's very difficult to maintain, to justify a niche. Flickr, at the end of the day, is going to have to make money to keep the Yahoo bottom line going, and it's very difficult to do that, the niche. Not not impossible, but, but much harder than if it's got much wider appeal. And let's face it, we're all posting photos. So uh, there is an opportunity for you know one or two large photo sites to clean up. And Flickr also has an awful lot of competition it never used to have now. And I think that's probably its biggest problem. It has a lot of competition now, and it didn't before when it was launched. And while some people still use it, that doesn't mean that it's a good thing. You know, on Twitter, I told Scott that a lot of people still play the Atari 2600. doesn't make it the best computer gaming system out there. A lot of people are still using Windows XP and Vista. doesn't make them right. So, yeah. you know, I, I I harbor no ill will towards Flickr. I, I don't care either way, to be honest. I've got a Flickr account. 
And uh, iPhoto reminds me of that occasionally when I notice that my little flicker thing, and it's been so long, but because I'm not a pro user, it, it I can't put any new photos up there. And managing the photos that are up there are a pain in the butt. So I just ignore it. Yeah, and the other thing as well is that a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, Flickr's got this community kind of... One of the problems with Flickr is it's not very community-orientated for something that it is meant to be a community. And that's the why tool, that's why I said it needed what I said yeah. it needed, you know? It needs the, community built in, and, and it yeah. really isn't. The tools it has to allow you to watch other people's photo streams and see what they're doing and comment and everything are very, very early 2000s. You know, they've never been updated. And you, when you compare, there's no third-party apps for it. Um, you know, you should be able to get an app that's there's like a, a Twitter client that allows you to subscribe to people's streams and see those photos come up. There are apps that do that, but not mainstream apps. You know, and, and they, they, they really need to, they need to be in bed with some of the big mobile providers so that, um, you know, Flickr is a banner site for photos off one of off one of these devices rather than being just a just an option it's uh i don't know is it a big thing to a lot of people sharing photos nowadays i think it is and yeah. i think that's only going to get more and more and more popular you know we're social creatures we want to share our photos when we take a good one we want our relatives to see the photo of the kids when we take them. Uh, video sharing is obviously dominated by YouTube. I don't see that changing anytime soon. But the difference between Yahoo and what they've done with Flickr and YouTube, which is owned by who? Google. Yeah. Is that Yahoo, and by extension Google, have made innovative leaps over time. And it gets better and better as time goes on. I think it's still a fine site. Um, but they've changed with time. They've made it better. They've listened to feedback. Flickr's done none of that. Yeah. So, speaking of Google, what do you think? They bought Sparrow out. Yeah. I was sad about this because I, I, up until they bought Sparrow, I used it all the time. Um, but I've stopped using it now. Um, because as soon as they acquired it, and uh, you know, I'm pleased to Sparrow guys because let's face it, the only way, as a, as a struggling developer, even with these app stores and iOS apps and all of this sort of thing, the only way to make serious money is to sell out to somebody, or to have, uh, you know, an Angry Birds style hit. And let's face it, a mail client's never going to be that big, yeah. But Sparrow's really good. I'm a, I, all of my mail goes through Gmail accounts, so you know, I'm always on the lookout for a decent. Um, application that integrates with Gmail and Mail.app in, in OS X just really doesn't do it for me. It, it's fine, it's functional, but you know, I want to, one of the advantages using Gmail is the fantastic search, and search in, um, in Mail.app is terrible. Yeah. It, it misses things, it's slow, sometimes it, it locks up. So I've always been on the lookout for, um, I don't like using the websites because I want to have a client on my machine. Um, I don't really want to to be, to be having the, leaving web pages open. So uh, Sparrow is perfect for me. It looked really great. It worked really well. It was being developed with new features. They had an iOS version that was pretty good. It was certainly uh, you know nicer to use than the Mail app on the on um, on the iPhone. Um, but you know they, they clearly they weren't 
making the sort of money they needed to make to support a team of the size they had. So, you know, good on them for selling out to Google and, and you know, in some respects, good on Google on, on buying, you know, one of the better clients out there. And I, I hope Google makes good use of the people and the technology it's acquired. But from a personal perspective, I'm sad because they immediately announced they weren't going to develop their products anymore. So I don't want to be using something that's not going to be developed. The, the latest version of the Mac client had some, you know, had some annoying bugs in it. Um, and uh, I don't want to be race, wasting on somebody to, in their spare time to fix those bugs. So uh, I've, I've abandoned the product, you know, and it's kind of sad, really. But it is the way of the world, unfortunately. Yep, absolutely. You know, I'd, in some, wish, some ways, I, I do wish that, as a, you know, despite the fact I've just said that, you know, good luck to developers for being bought out and for cashing out, it would be nice if big companies didn't do that <laughs> and buy them out. You know, it would be, be nice if we could have settlements on the moon and we would have pill forms that you could put in the microwave and it turns in any food we want. And well, no, well, no, I'm, I'm not saying that. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is, is it would be nice if, if a company like Google could come up with a, a better way of aligning themselves with products like that without just swallowing them whole, which means that because of corporate interest, the original thing has to disappear. Yeah, but the issue there is when you're a company the size of Google and you want to partner with a very, very tiny company like this, um, it's almost impossible to do because, A, the smaller company is going to be able to move much more nimbly, nimbly, and the bigger company uh, is going to, because they have the deeper pockets, are going to dictate everything. So rather than try to work these arrangements out, just buy it and do it. Yeah, but but the problem is they buy it and then they don't do it. Well, look, look at look at what happened with um, look at what happened with, with um, Tweety, which Twitter bought and turned into the official Twitter client. But I just got done saying that that YouTube is better now, and they've been owned by Google for a long time. Oh, the yeah. plot thickens. Yeah, no, but no, we're talking about we're talking about. Uh, software clients. We're not talking about. Um, well, you could large. you could argue that that YouTube, in essence, is a is a giant software company. I mean, it, yes, it yeah, runs on servers, kind of, but it's kind of different though because when YouTube was acquired, it was much bigger than um, they were. It, it they were mu- they were losing their money. They were losing left a lot of and money, right. But, but but they were a much bigger operation than a, a software development team of five or six people. Um, and that's, so, that's kind so of the that's kind of what success talking about. You look at, are better yeah. if it's a large company acquiring another large company because that's worked so well with U.S. banks and telecoms and stuff. Uh, yeah, but, uh, but the point I'm trying to make, if you'll let me make no. it, no, uh, people that, like it when we go back and forth. You, by the if way, if you acquire a small company and you acquire it lock, stock and barrel, what's going to happen? Let's let's look at what's going to happen to Sparrow guys. They're going to be put on the Gmail team. Yep. Yeah, where there's already God knows how many, 500, 600 people, whatever, however big that team is. 12. And there'll be five guys. They, they might not even be working together anymore among a much larger organization that's well-entrenched, well-established, has its own political, um, you know, battle lines drawn and policies and procedures and everything. And they'll be expected to integrate with that. And what it will do is it will stifle a lot of that innovation. Every time they'll put their hand up and say, oh, well, yeah, at Sparrow, we thought about doing it like this. You know, somebody will sit around and say, yeah, well, we don't do that here. Actually, it's, you know, it's 12 people that work on the Gmail team. 12? Like, yeah, I just checked. 
How do you know? I called. <laughs> I muted my okay. mic and I called and I asked. Even, even if it is only twelve, which it isn't, liar. <laughs> um, even if it, even if it was only twelve, you still got twelve people who are well established and run one of the biggest mail services on the planet. Yeah, and then these five guys come in who had their little, you know, you know, happy dappy OS ten client. And they go, oh, yeah, on well, the Sparrow, we thought we thought we should do it like this. And the guy goes, yeah, we don't do that. We don't want to do that. Yeah, thanks thanks for your input. Thanks for your feedback. Let's brainstorm that and put it on the whiteboard, and then we'll walk away and forget about it. Yeah. That's the, that is the way it's going to happen in a big company. Yes. So the actual value that Google gets from acquiring Sparrow is immediately diminished by the way they operate. Whereas if they were to come to them and say, okay, well, you know what? Let's set up a little side project. Let's Let's... Do, let's have an official Gmail client and we want you guys to develop it. Here's the spec. Here's what we'd like, like to see. And we want you to go away and do it and then bring it to us and show it to us and demonstrate it to us and then we'll, we'll workshop it and, we'll, and then we'll refine it and do all this that and, and kind of do it over a six-month project and then at the end of it, we'll have a product and we'll buy it from you. If they did it like that, then they would be investing in the company without squandering and losing the innovation that it has. And I think if you look at what happened with, with Tweety, when Lauren Brichter and his team had developed Tweety, it was a very innovative, um, you know, it invented a lot of these these things that we kind of take for granted now, like, you know, pull to refresh and stuff like that. He came up with all of those interface designs himself. He got acquired by Twitter and became the official Twitter client. They rebadged it and relaunched it as the official Twitter client, exactly the same as it was before. And then it didn't change. And well, didn't some change. of it did change and, and for the worse. No, well, no. Yeah, well... And then when it did change, it changed to reflect Twitter's new corporate approach, which is to lock down the API and to um, try and reflect things that they were doing on the website and everything. And people were up in arms and all of that. And sure enough, you know, after 14 months or so, Lauren left the company and he's got off to do something else. So now the, basically they've swallowed it lock, stock and barrel. But all the development is, is not in, you know, the excitement around that client is not in what was Tweety. But people yeah, let's, let's like be honest, Twitter though. Now. When they buy these... When the big mega corporations do buy the IP of a smaller company that was successful, a lot of these smaller developers they don't want to work for a big company. That was the whole point of them, you know, creating something on their own. And yeah. you know, some sometimes the terms of the the agreement of buying them is that they have to stay there for a certain amount of time. But as soon as that yeah. time's up, they've got their big fat paycheck. They're out of there. So thank you for supporting my argument because mm-hmm. wouldn't it be a much better way of doing it is rather than take these guys who don't want to work for a big company say someone, well, we will financially support you, we will invest, we will pay you for some of the stuff you're doing, yeah, but you're not tied into working for us. It would be great. So It would be great. So why don't companies do that more and do less of the, here's a big fat check, now, now we own your ass? Because unicorns don't exist in the world, David. It's not the way it is. I'm just saying that if I were the CEO of Google, <laughs> no Microsoft. Remember, we're going for Microsoft. Microsoft oh, that's this week. Right. We do. Oh, is it? We're doing Microsoft. Micro- this week. Yes, we're going for yeah. Microsoft. If, well, Microsoft's a very good example. They bought that ad click company that was like double click light. Yeah. Yeah. They've just killed their last quarterly results yep. and, and actually delivered a loss because they had to write off the $5.6 billion investment because it was a bad investment. Yeah. Yeah? And you know what? If they'd have partnered with that company rather than, um, rather than buying it lot, sock and barrel, oh, hey, 
They wouldn't have lost $5.6 billion. Probably only like $1.6 billion. Yeah, well, yeah, nevertheless, they would have made profit last quarter. So you know how like we've been talking about uh, the dearth of tech coverage and we're getting tired of how bad it is? Yeah. I thought I would go up to what I think most people will consider a legitimate news site, CNN. Yeah. And, I, and I click their tech. Here, here's some of the headlines. See if you see a repeating pattern here. Facebook earnings, good, but not good enough. How your iPhone apps could be hacked at once. Researcher, air traffic controller system is hackable. Zynga shares plummet 37%. Is company a fad? NFC exploit. Be very, very careful what your smart, smartphone gets near. Uh, my view, don't, 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 I can't talk. Don't ban social media from schools. The 10, ten coolest tech stories of the 2012 Olympics. Yeah, and I bet those 10 coolest stories are, um, you can hack Olympic tickets. <laughs> you F- know. Fending off cyber, cyber criminals for kids. Hackers next target, your eyeballs. Facebook's earnings have a lot to live up to. Your future home is vulnerable to cyber attacks. Now online, cheap ammo. Zynga cuts Outlook. Bad news for Facebook? You see kind of a... a, a is it just me or is there kind of a repeating pattern here? There is. It's just like the world well, is I'm just going to slip my, my wrist. Yeah. <laughs> I, have this, I have this visual. I don't know where I got it from. Of of that act, I think you you might be responsible from that. Um, from I don't know, like four years ago. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> That's an inside joke. <laughs> uh, no, seriously, I mean, I mean, talk about negative reporting. Jesus Christ, really? That's of all of this, and it's called Tech Pulse. Really, the Tech Pulse is all about hacking and doom and gloom and. The pulse is, is the blood flow. There is no pulse there. They're, what they're talking about is dying and death and hacking. And the guy, the world's a horrible place, according to freaking CNN tech. Good God. I, I, well, how bad I mean, could it be? I mean, let's compare that. And I haven't been here in a couple of days now. Let's let's compare that to what was Harry McCracken site, but it's part of time.com. So it's time tech land. Yeah. Um, Top one, I'm interviewing Ken Siegel, author of Insanely Simple, next Tuesday. Um, wait, apparently the government did create the internet after all. Um, Babson, professor, Apple's crazy, being like attempt to force people everywhere to act like an American teenager will fail. Um, and then another one on the government inventing the internet. Yeah. Uh, Apple OS X, Mountain Lion Review, the Max. Lion Adventure continues. More proof that the future of tech is unknowable. Taking photos at Comic Con with actual camera. Is this a future or what? Yeah, yeah. It's it's just it's actual news or it's interesting stories. It's not all doom and gloom. God, all right. Maybe where our ambitions are a little high. Maybe we just need to take over the the CNN tech site. Maybe that's the route we go. I think I think what we should do is we should. Uh, Microsoft's first acquisition that isn't a small tech company will be uh, Time Techland, and that'll be um, uh, oh, oh no, we'll take the CNN one over because that's the bad one. So it'll yeah. be MSCNN. I think that has a nice ring to it. No, it'll be TFCNN. 
Tech fans. CFCNN. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Well, I know what our cover photo is now. Let's just take that over. I mean, they they say that nothing, you know, nothing sells like a bad headline. But um, really, uh, I thought I thought Fox News was the one who had the um, the uh, the kind of the 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 cornered market cornered on the on bad bad news doom and gloom. Uh, It sure doesn't seem that way to me. I mean, holy crap! I feel like. The world's ending anytime soon, according to CNN's tech site. I mean, really? Come on, people. It, it, it's not all roses out there. We, we all understand that. There was a horrific shooting at the premiere of Batman in Denver. And the person who did it bought his ammo online, and none of it was illegal. There was no illegal weapons. Um, and it's horrific. But not yeah. everything is bad. Not it, it's not. We're not living in such a terrible world that you know. I don't know. It, it, it just kind of irritates me more than anything, David. Well, you know, it, it certainly isn't balanced. Put it that way. No, for that you got to go to Fox. Oh wait, <laughs> wait a minute. You know, Fox News is actually banned in Canada. I can believe it. They 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 have a law up there that you can't lie. <laughs> yeah. And thus, who'd, who'd have thought it? <laughs> you you can't lie in a news broadcast like that, and the, so the, thus, yeah, the the problem is is that <laughs> for years, you know, a paper like the National Enquirer, yeah, which uh, uh, kind of everybody knows, and the National Enquirer is kind of like the more legitimate end of the of those American supermarket tabloids. You know, after that, you get the Daily World News or whatever it is, where literally they were making stuff up. And photoshopping pictures on the cover, and really, it's now getting to the point the mainstream media is starting going. Well, hey, we can do that. Yeah. Let's just make it up. Who's ever going to question us? Sure, seems like that. So, David, we're going to wrap up this episode of Tech Fan. We'll be back. Unless you're going to Botswana or something again next week, we should both be back next week, right? Um, what's happening? Something's happening next week. I don't know. Uh, I, I, well, I need to. We need to sit down and figure out the schedule because. Uh, I am going to be away, not next week, but the week after. Okay. Uh, for a couple of weeks. Uh, so. Well, Scott Wilsey's here enough. Maybe I'll just do one episode with him when you're gone. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we're going to... We we do, uh, in all honesty, though, we, we love, love to Scott. get feedback. We do love you. I wasn't going to go that far, but... Well. <laughs> Uh, we do well, love the feedback. For, for anyone for anyone mocking us, at least he calls. <laughs> there, well, there is that. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, get some yeah. feedback on what you think of the show, uh, the topics that we're discussing, any other topics that you'd love to hear us rant on and on about. You can send an email. Uh, you can go to our website, techfanpodcast.com. Click the Contact Us button and fill out that form. Or if you want to record yourself on your iPhone, it's really easy to do. Simply go to voice memo, record yourself, and then you could forward it via email. Just send it to tim at mymac.com, T-I-M at M-Y-M-A-C dot com, and uh, we'll play it right here on the show. Unless you, you know, curse a whole lot. Well, in which case, we'll just beep those parts out, right? Yeah, exactly. And if you are up on the Tech Fan Podcast website, make sure you click the Amazon banner. We'd appreciate it. And check out all the episodes that we've ever done on the site, they're all listed there, starting with episode number one. David, thanks for uh, joining me once again in our uh, tech fr- 
what's the word I would just I was going to say frivolous, but I don't think it was frivolous. <laughs> kind of was. It was a little bit frivolous. Flippant. Yeah. I think flippant. Flippant I, yes. would be a good word. Yes. Okay, flippant. I've got to go because apparently there's some big, big thing in London tonight that I'm expected to attend. Oh, yeah, the opening ceremonies. You can't miss that. And uh, good luck in your event. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing the hammer this year. Oh, I thought you were. Uh, I thought, I thought that, that you were uh, crossing over. Kind of fit with my demeanor, which was taking a large ball, spinning it around, there, throwing it at people. I thought you were doing the hundred meter podcast relay. No, no, I decided that I couldn't be bothered with that. Well, you might want to tell Guy Searle. He was he was really looking forward to it. <laughs> I'm going to let him do it. He just doesn't know <laughs> I'm not going to be there. He doesn't even have to run fast. He's got those long ass legs and just big steps. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he can just he can just crush the other components with his giant hands. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye.